All right, so we're just over halfway in our Sermon on the Mount series. Uh, has everyone been enjoying this? Have people been learning? Y'all been tracking? Yeah. Give me a little feedback. Yeah, I think it's been extremely profound and helpful for us as a staff. Uh, we start talking about, we had our elder meeting this last week, and just sharing stories about what God is doing in our own hearts, uh, what God is doing kind of across our church as we, as we meet with many of you. Um, God is just He's on the move, and it is super exciting. And today, I think it's just another opportunity to see him do that. Last week, we had this opportunity to really sit down and answer the question of who is your master, right? Like, you and I are each going to choose to follow somebody, okay? Now, now many of us would think, oh, we're independent. I just do me. That's just false. Like, you don't just do you, okay? You copy just something else always. And if it's not God, it's some other worldview, some other structure, some other system, or some other person. It's just the way we are rooted. You and I, listen, since the day we were born, have been breathing the air of individualism, but that just means that is now your master and not yourself, so we have to try and make the decision of, well, who, is, who am I going to follow? And the Bible says, listen, there should be only one option for those who love Jesus, and it's Jesus. Right? He's like, listen, if you believe this, if I am your Savior, if I am your Lord, I must be master. I must be master over everything. You can't pick and choose. And we are a pick and choose type of people. You know, Christ, like... I love you, and, and I love you enough for salvation. I love you enough for heaven. Uh, I love you enough for good things. Um, but man, I don't, I don't love you enough where I'm gonna stop this or I'll, I'll, I'll pursue this. And so um, the pick and choose master thing doesn't work. And so last week we tried to push ourselves and say, we gotta pick, right? Who is going to be, at the end of the day, the master that you will serve in your life? This question runs through, and the answer to that question runs through and is necessary for us to understand how do we apply what we learn today from Jesus. We're going to look at four other questions today that I think help frame what this means for us to, to, to live in this reality well. And so um, what we're talking about today is this idea of, of don't be anxious, right? Don't be anxious. Or uh, if you grew up in Southern California like me, it's just as simple as, hey, chill out, man. Like, just chill out. Now, now, my own personal story with this is uh, growing up in Southern California most of my formative years, the culture there is just like, it's, it's chill out. It's just relax. Like, everything's going to be fine. And, and so what I did, as, and I'm learning this more and more, and you can talk to my wife, and she will tell you all day that I am not internally and by nature a chill person right? Like I am a ramped up, just anxious ball of stress, right? Like we, we have this joke in, in our house that I am a, I have a really long fuse to an atomic bomb. Like I'm just ready to go, okay? But in the culture, it said that to be chill was, was the way to go, to just kind of let stuff brush off my back and say, oh, that's no big deal and that's no big deal. And so what I did is I created kind of this persona in myself for year after year after year that I wasn't an anxious person. And texts like this, I didn't really need to focus on. Because, you know, I don't really worry about these things, whatever, it all take care of itself. Uh, let alone the fact that that probably only existed because I've never had a real need in my life because I've had great parents, a great family, and always been provided for. What we see here today is a need for the church if we want to be faithful witnesses in the world, if we want to glorify God, and if we want to experience the joy that comes from knowing him. What we experience in this text is the absolute need for us to pursue this at deeper levels than we ever have before. Because the anxiety that runs rampant in our culture is not just the, the clinical stuff. 
Now, 20% of our country does, for, uh, does struggle with some form of anxiety. I think it's about 18%. So over 40 million people in America struggle with clinical anxiety. They have some form, right, that is diagnosed and needs treatment. That's crazy, one in five. So we have, what, 250 or so people here in the room today? Uh, help me with the math, that's 50, right? 50 people here in this room, on average, will be struggling with anxiety. Now, now for some of us, we're just thinking, especially as we'll read this text, they're like, oh, what are you talking about? Like, just chill out, right? Just, just relax, get over it. And especially for, for these 50, that's just not a, that's not a simple thing to say. It's not a simple thing to apply. Um, and we have to understand that if we want to be, again, good neighbors to the people around us. That there are people that will hear this text this morning, and it's not, some, it's not as simple as I say, chill out, don't worry about money, we'll take care of it. But there is something broken in the system, and when I mean system, I mean our world. There's sin that is so pervasively moved through our culture uh, that this is, goes beyond just a simple, hey, let me send you this verse and life is good. Now, I don't know how many of you can resonate with this reality of where you've experienced pain or hurt or brokenness, and it's just been kind of a trite line like this, like, hey, man, just don't, do not be anxious about anything, right? And then you're like, well, that doesn't help me right now. My hope for today, and what I think Christ does, he understands our hearts, understands this reality, and so he's going to dig us deeper, and I think he's asking four questions of us. And I think these four questions need to be questions that we need to ask ourselves the moment we wake up. And, and, and that's going to be the, I'll just give it to you right now. The application at the end of this sermon is going to be every day for the rest of your lives. You ask yourself these four questions. Like you get up, if you need to write it down, whatever, even just runs through your mind as you're taking a shower, you're getting ready, that these four questions would consistently and constantly run through your mind about who God is, who you are, and, and we'll look at the rest. So let me, let me read you kind of the main premise of this, okay? Verse 25. It says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, uh, I think if we're honest, most of us, and this is certainly not true, and I know some of the stories in the room, but for most of us in the room, we have not probably thought through, what am I going to eat this afternoon? Okay? Uh, we probably haven't thought through, well, what am I going to wear tomorrow? Okay, we, we haven't thought through, am, am I going to have clothes? Will I have a shelter? Most of us in the room have that story. Now, again, some of us in here do not. And maybe this is very practical and very tangible for us. Uh, but, but, but for the rest of us in the room, I need us to understand this goes far behind the physical. Right? This, this anxiety thing, trying to navigate, what are these things that we're truly worried and concerned about uh, that affect our lives? And oftentimes it's, well, what, what do people think? Right, um, for you students, right? Uh, especially you, like really go getters who need a good GPA uh, to actually get into grad school, right? Like I knew, like a two O would get me out of there as fast as I can, and so I was like, two O it is, right? I do not recommend that at any level, even if it's easy. Don't do that. I regret saying it. Okay. Um, uh, for for the adults in the room, and maybe it's not, man. Will we have food tonight? But maybe it's will we have food three months from now? You just lost your job. Uh, maybe we go, rewind to 2008, housing crisis. Uh, Flagstaff is incredibly expensive, on and on. Sort of these things that I think draw us and cause us to not understand and walk in who we're supposed to be. And so the four questions that I want us to ask today and ask every day is this. Number one is, who is the master, right? So not who is your master. In other words, you have to pick between, you know, God or the world. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But who is this master with which you've chosen, 
Like, what is his character? What is he about? What has he done? And that must be formative. The second one is, well, who are you in the midst of that? So what is your identity? What is your value? The Imago Dei. Three, what is then actually promised to us? For us to understand expectation. And man, I love just telling, I I say this over and over and over because I think it's helpful, but everything, every piece of hurt and sadness and brokenness in your life is a a result of sin, but in the midst of that, it's, it's the gap between expectation and reality. And so if your expectation is this and for your husband or your wife to act like this, guess what? They never will. And so all of your pain exists in this gap. Okay? And this is true for everything. You expect your career to fulfill you. And so this is where you think it'll be. It usually comes here and or lower. And yet all of this is where your pain and your hurt and your sadness will exist. And so what we need to do is have right expectations of what the Bible actually communicates about what will be provided to those who are his and in this world. Number four is, uh, what is your purpose? The Missio Dei. Okay, the mission of God. What, what is the purpose for you being here? I think if we define who God is, who we are, what he promises, and what the purpose of our lives are, and we allow those answers from the scripture to be true for us every day, I think we begin to conquer some of these evils that are in our lives. Okay, it's not always that simple, but, but I think it would be super helpful for us. Now, I was talking to a good friend here at the church just about this right, right before we started. And I said, hey man, you know, like, how does this ring to you? Like, how, how does this sound to you? What happens when you read this text? Like, because I know you've battled some things. And so what, what does that mean? And something that he, he said that I thought was super profound. And so I, I didn't come up with this. It was great. But the questions always remain the same, right? And, 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 uh, but the answers change for us depending on our circumstance. Right, the questions never change. And I guess probably the ultimate answer, the ultimate truth never changes, but our answers change all the time. And I wonder why we're so scattered. Because when something hits, so uh, my wife and I, a few years back, a lot of you know this story, but it just remains to be the most kind of influential and, and, and heartbreaking moment of our lives. We, we had a, a miscarriage a few years back. And so we began to ask these questions and all of a sudden the answers that we had had for years and years and years weren't the ones coming out of our mouth anymore. So all of a sudden, who is God? Like, what is he about? All of a sudden, he was the God who didn't save our kid. Right? And so all of a sudden, he was the guy. And so all of a sudden, the circumstances began to change our answers to these questions. And my hope is, is that as always, as a faithful group of people who call Christ our Savior and this book truth, that we'd always return to what is actually true about who he is. That, that even in the midst of whatever circumstance will come in your life, and hear me, if you haven't experienced pain in your life, listen, this too shall pass, okay? The world is just too messed up, sin is too pervasive, brokenness will be at your doorstep one day, and you will be confronted with answering these questions differently. And my prayer is that we don't, because it doesn't help us. It hurts us and leads us down things that are just not true, Okay? All right, here we go. Um, who is the master? So um, the, 
I tried to think through, man, what are the most important characteristics that we can give to God? And I don't know if you've ever seen, there's like this, uh, it's like a 10 minute YouTube clip and it's of this, this fiery black preacher just getting after it and he names all of God's names and says all of God's characteristics and it's just phenomenal. And I was like, man, I'll just play that, that'll be easy, but that was like 10 minutes and so I just came up with four and so pardon me if I miss some of the good things about God, but I think these help encapsulate who he is. And so I think he is creator, sustainer, he is sovereign and he is good. I, I think these four just kind of raise to the top for me, creator, sustainer, sovereign, and good. And I want to share some scriptures with you guys this morning, because if this is true, that should change things for us. Like if God is the, truly the creator of the world, right? he gave you life and so brought everything to existence that we see now. If he is that, if he is the sustainer, in other words, the only reason your molecules are not split all over this entire building and this building exists and things are not crumbling everywhere is because he holds it together. If he is not sovereign, all-knowing, all-powerful. He sees everything, does everything, can do whatever he wants. Man, that should influence our anxiety. And lastly, is he good? So not only is he sovereign, can he do everything, but does he do it in a will that is truly good for us? So let's share some scriptures. Creator, Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And obviously, many of us know this verse, but I chose it just to say, can we just think for a moment? Because I think when we start our Bibles, especially we give it to people, they start with page one, like, all right, in the beginning, great, 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 great. Okay, so he created the world. The guy spoke, and light came. Like he, he said a word and then all of a sudden these things that are shining on me and blinding me um, became real right? This thing that has these crazy properties, which allows us to walk around, which allows us to see at night, which allows it to illumine everything we know. God said a word and it came into being. I mean, he is creator. Like he's creator. Everything you know, everything you see, because of him. The word create is this word bara, B-A-R-A, I'm probably not even pronouncing it right. But it literally means to create out of nothing. So, so we, when we start thinking through, okay, well, we got some creative people in here. What that means is we take current substance and then we form it to look like stuff. So if you're a painter or you do sculpting or design or, or just whatever you do, you take things that we already have in this world and then you make it into something beautiful. God thought of beauty. God thought of the material that would go into the things that you use to make things daily. God is creator. We cannot miss that. Two, sustainer, Colossians 1.17. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Hebrews 1.3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and upholds the universe by the word of his power. Okay, so again, listen, the reality of, of our life is we just kind of go kind of minute by minute, we wake up in the morning, you know, brush teeth, take a shower, get dressed, go to work, go to school, whatever it is, um, and we just don't think of the fact that you only do those things. Like the simplest tasks in your life only happen because the Lord is sustaining this world. Like that's this it. Like it's, it's not because you, you set your alarm at the right time that you woke up. I mean, he built the alarm. He made the alarm go off. He woke up your eyelids. He got your heart going. He pulled you out of REM sleep. He is the sustainer of everything. Without him, this whole world does not exist. Like, so again, like these are things we're like, oh yeah, of course, I, I know that. And we created, of course. 
right? Yeah, he holds it all together. Sure, we wouldn't be able to do it. He's crazy. We have to constantly meditate even on these things that we think we know. Especially when we begin to see a gap between the way we live our lives and what we say we know. That, that's when this really starts to become suspect, right? It is when we, we look at, okay, well, this is what I do, but I, but I believe all this. These two things seem incompatible. And so that means we need to come and reevaluate this stuff that we say we know, okay? He's creator, he's sustainer. Third one, he's sovereign. 1 Chronicles 29, okay? Yours, O Lord, I love this, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heavens in the, and all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might and in your hand it is to make great and give strength to all. And th- listen, there, honestly, there's text after text after text after text pouring over the, the glory and the power and the might of God. He is sovereign, right? That means he knows all. He rules over all. He does all. He sees all. You cannot hide from him. And, and many of us would think, well, that's, that's a terrible, it's not a terrible, it's a good thing to be exposed by God. Do, do, do you, he is, so, okay, the stressor of your life today, the thing you're worried about, does he like me? Does she like me? Will she say yes? Am I gonna have a job when I graduate? Am I still gonna have my job because I hear they're doing layoffs? Uh, Man, I don't know if I can afford this month's mortgage payment. My kids don't love Jesus. My kids are freaking out. My marriage is in trouble. Insert those things for you this morning. Do you think for one moment God stops being sovereign over those things? Do you think he doesn't know that they're happening? Do you think he doesn't know how to control this situation? Do you feel like you need to step in, right? So God, thanks for sustaining everything. This is great when life is good, but when life gets tough, I'll step in and take it. I'll figure it out, or at least I will spend my night worrying about it and thinking about it just so that I'll be able to step in when the time is right. He is sovereign, okay? He knows everything. Lastly, he is good. Now, these two things have to be held together, right? Because if you've got a sovereign God, okay, who is a jerk, this is terrible news for us, Right? Like if you have this, this guy who can just do everything, but you do not like him, okay, because he is a bad person, this is not good for you. I had a football coach, and man, I don't hope he doesn't ever listen to this stuff. He said he has from time to time, but he was just a really good coach, right, had ultimate authority over our team, but was just a terrible guy. Like, was, I mean, so, yeah, it was great that he had power because he could make decisions based on what he knew, but he was a jerk. And so why would I want to follow that guy? And so these two things have to be held in perfect tension. He is perfectly powerful, sovereign, but he is so good. 
couple texts. Psalm 119.68, you are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. Psalm 107.1, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 145.8.9, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. Okay, so I find that many of us, we, we struggle with one or the other. Okay, he's either not all powerful, so I'll take care of it, or yeah, maybe he is all powerful, but I don't trust him. I don't think he's that good. And so I'll do this myself so that I can enter into the, me, or enter into the life that I want to craft for me. But do we believe that he is good and his ways are good and fruitful and for you ultimately? Because if these two things are true, like if he, if he is completely sovereign and he is completely good, it would seem just logically that any anxiety, any fear, any frustration would melt away. Because we have this sovereign God who is our master, who knows us and loves us anyway. Okay. So, so what's the problem then? Like where, where do we fall short? And, and I think there's some other questions that we need to analyze. So question one was, who is God? And, and that's who he is. And this is in stark contrast to the enemy, to Satan, right? Who is the exact opposite, right? He's, who, Satan is, is created, he's destructive, he's finite, and he's evil. And he's coming after this world, nonstop. And yet I find constantly, we, we find ourselves almost trusting in his promises more than the promises of God, okay? C.S. Lewis has this brilliant quote from, uh, from Screwtape Letters. Anybody read that one? He hasn't read that book. Man, we've got extra copies. Just come, grab that, read that. It's super good. But he says, it is funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. Uh, and actually, if you don't know the premise of the book, uh, essentially it is uh, one kind of like chief demon teaching his, his nephew demon how to screw up people's lives, in essence, right? And so he's like, here's, here's what you need to do. It's not even necessarily all these things that, uh, that, we, that we put into their minds, these lies or whatever, but it's how do we keep out what's true? And so I, I wonder how often we're just kind of struggling with this reality if we just easily forget what's true about God. We just easily forget that these things are the God we serve. And so as we go through our day, we're being told nonstop a story that is written by Satan, that is written by evil, that is written by a story that is the antithesis to the gospel. And so that's what you hear most of your day as you walk out in this world. And so when you hear that story over and over, it gets a lot harder to hear the story of the Bible and the story of God. And so there'll be an encouragement based on that in just a bit. But, uh, but question number two, who are you and then what is your value? I think Jesus coming in, he addresses this first one. Who's your master? This is what this life looks like. And then verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? It's like a smack across the face from Jesus, right? Like, you, you fool. 
Like, you, you have eyes, right? And so he gives these, these two examples. He says, look at these birds, right? And I imagine they're just sitting in a field, you know, and, and Jesus is there and his beard's flowing, you know, and it's just like the breeze is great. You know what I mean? There's just bread everywhere because he just does that. And, and <laughs> you know, it, like Olive Garden breadsticks, like they're just arrayed and red lobster biscuits. I mean, it's just, I'm a, I'm a big dude. And so... And he's talking, and I just, and they just, he's like, dude, you see these birds over here? Like, how do you think they eat? Like, how, how do you think these birds survive? And I imagine maybe just they see a little fox scamper by, that'd be cute, you know, a little squirrel. He's got his face full of nuts or whatever. And, and, and I just imagine thinking, like, oh yeah, like, this bird eats every day. How, how, does, how, does, how does that happen? So if, again, if we've already established question one, right, that there, that there is this God, there is this master, there is this creator, he's the one structuring and organizing these things, okay? So again, if that's true, so now you're sitting there saying, you're like, man, he provides for the bird, surely then he's gonna provide for me. And that's Jesus' very words. He's like, why are you worried? I give food to the birds. They're just birds. There's like eight billion species of birds, if we lost, if you know, big deal. <laughs> what are you, bird lovers? Like, you guys like, <laughs> everyone's like upset. Like, how oh, dare he? He talked about birds. Um, <laughs> that was my upset voice. Um, if he provides for the birds, surely he's going to provide for you and me. And then he talks about the lilies, which again, I don't know, maybe for you botanists, horticulturalists, you're going to be really upset with this, but who cares about lilies? It's just this little flower. And yet it's beautiful. And God clothes it. God gives it its beauty. God sustains it. Hear me, listen. Are you not more important than a bird and a flower? Do you understand the depth of your value before God? In the beginning, God created, right? So we saw that he created everything, spoke everything to existence. And many of you might know this narrative, right? He creates and creates and creates, and he gets to day six, and he's like, okay, well, what's left? Oh, yeah, I need to make man, right? And so he starts crafting man, and then he looks upon man, he says, there's something missing. Uh, oh, yeah, a woman, someone to help this dude out because he's shady, right? And so how do we, right, how, we need man and we need woman. And then after that, everything up to that point was good. And then when you have man in the garden, woman created, he looks upon his creation and says, it's very good. It says in the Bible that the only thing that God creates after creating everything you know and see, the only thing that he creates in his image, in his likeness, is you. Like the bird is not imaging God, okay? Uh, the lily does not image, it is not, we are made in the image of God, his apex of his creation, the primary love of his soul. This is, this is absolute foolishness when we really think about it. That the God, this God we just talked about, for some reason would say, you're my prized possession. I love you more than anything else in this world. And I'm about to prove it. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. I tell you, more and more and more over the last year, 
two years probably. And I don't know if it was just our first year and a half to two years up here. Oh, actually, what's today's date? October 15th? 16th? Oh, yesterday was our four-year anniversary. That's cool. Um, sweet. So I don't know if for the first two years here, um, because this weren't opening up yet, but it feels like over the last year to two years, once every 10 days, I'm meeting with one of you who is battling deep anxiety and depression. Like, like heaviness, suicide attempts, like super, de- super big depths of brokenness. And I'll sit there and God, I'm so woefully incapable of communicating well God's heart for you. Like, I, I, listen, there, I could sit here and I, I would love to just sit down and if we just had the time to read every thought that God had about you, we wouldn't have enough time for the rest of our lives. Like, his, he values you far more than you would ever imagine today. There's, there's not enough adjectives to describe the way he views his creation, the way he values what he's created. Okay. And we miss it all the time. Instead, we are constantly sold a different version of life from, from different worldviews, from different things. What they tell you is that your value comes because you do some good stuff. This world tells you that your value comes because you got good grades or you got a good job, you had a good family, you got a good support system, you got a good structure, you got a good status, you got a good job, you got a good salary. You're a good person, you're nice to people. See, see the world, their version of your value is completely contingent on what you bring to the table. Okay? In fact, every, every religion in this world Every religion in this world is 100% contingent on what you bring to the table. Every religion in this world is about how can you climb your way up to this God who is perfect. Christianity is the only worldview, the only religion that says that will never happen so I'll come down to you. If that doesn't show you how important and valuable you are to God, that he entered into this mess, nothing else will. If you're allowing yourself to be fined by the world's set of values, that's again, you do this, valuable. You don't do this, not valuable. The gospel says there is absolutely nothing you do to make yourself valuable. Jesus did everything on your behalf. So this morning, the good news for us is that, man, we don't have to climb that rope anymore because you're gonna fall anyway. It's to say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Who's the man? Jesus. There it is. Man, I love y'all. You guys are all getting like extra stuff in heaven. Like it's gonna be, I'll talk to him about it. It'll be good. You're so valuable. And I just keep saying it because I don't know if maybe the 10th time I'll say it, it'll sink in. You don't need to be defined by the values of this world. Your identity is not based on that. It is solely based on the image of God which is imprinted upon you as he knit you and formed you together in your mother's womb, okay? That's who you are. Precious, beautiful, and his, okay? Um, the, uh, 
Yeah, let's look at this last one. What is promise then to us? Because we gotta get moving. What is promise? Verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Okay, so what is often talked about, and when I enter into some conversations with, with people here, with people around, um, it's usually like, well, I don't know why God didn't give this to me. Um, I really want it. You know, um, like this is, I really, really, really want it. Like it's, like we treat God like we've sent him our Christmas list. Like, hey, did you mail Jesus your Christmas list yet, darling? You know, that's not, it's, it's not a list of your wants in this world that he just goes down and says, well, you've been nice. And so I guess, yes, you can have, you know, I don't know, whatever y'all want these days, an Xbox or something, right? What is it? Nintendo NX. Nintendo NX. Is that a thing? NX? Connects. NX. Nintendo Connects. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is a tangent I shouldn't have taken. I'm, what? Okay, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't know. I'm, Nintendo NX. All right. I, I expect one of you guys to buy me that now. Um, <laughs> Okay, it's just the code name, y'all, okay? Don't get confused. Um, thank you, I've never heard of that, so. I'm sure Anthony's gonna buy one, that dude loves his video gaming. But anyway, it's not a, it's not a one thing. Yet, yeah, if we're honest, hear me, listen. Analyze the things in your life that, that bring about the anxiety and the frustration, kind of just the, the average day-to-day -day stuff. Is that a want or a need? Okay? Is, is it a want? Like, so, uh, it, it, okay, uh, many of you guys, right, you, you own your own businesses, right? And so uh, maybe you have a client who treats you poorly, okay? Um, you want him to treat you better. You want him to pay you on time. You don't need that, okay? Not if God is provider, okay? Um, not if God is sufficient. Not if God, if your value is only contingent upon what he thinks of you, you don't need that guy to be, uh, to be nice to you. Is that right? That's a want for you. And yet we lose our minds over these wants. Man, I, I want this. That's not promised here. Our, our wants are not promised. And normally I think when we think through wants, we, just, we think through kind of stuff. But again, in the illustration, I mean, it's not just that. It's if God is already this thing, it is no longer a need for you. If God is truly provider, Okay, provision from elsewhere is not necessary. Okay, now, let me be clear. Okay, if you run a business, you, do, you should make people pay for your, their stuff, okay? But at the end of the day, if they don't, God is still God, amen? Our answer should not change, amen? Because what, has God changed? No, so again, our wants need to be defined by and through the lens of, I believe God is already this for me. And so that redefines what a want and a need is. Right? What is promised to you, the expectation you should have for your life is that every need you ever have will be provided for you. Okay? But it has to be through a lens of him already providing these things that we deem necessary in life that we just forget that he's already taken care of. Now, 
I've sat down, I've, I've talked to different people about this passage, and they'll bring up the question, like, hey, but what about, what about, like, just starvation in our world? You know, why, why, why do we have poverty? Why do we have kids that, in this nation, let alone across the world, that do not have food? Okay. Um, and honestly, listen, I, I don't fully know the story about why God doesn't kind of recreate an Exodus 18 kind of manna coming up out of the dew type of situation all across the world. I don't know why he chooses not to do that. But I have some thoughts. And I think it's because if you look across this world, and I, and I did some statistic shopping, and, um, and I'll share this with you, but uh, the UN says that there is enough food Okay, uh, we're 150% times over, right? So there's enough food, 50% over what it would take to feed everyone in this world. And, and, and the UN says there's enough food for everyone to have a 2,800 calorie diet per day, per person across the world. That's how much food we produce around the world. And I guarantee you, we're barely tapping into what this earth, which God has sustained, provided, and done, can provide for its people. And so my bigger question in the midst of that is, where the heck are we? I don't know, church, why are there people starving in our city? Why are there people around the world that don't have food, shelter, clothing? Where is the church? So, I mean, we, we go, gosh, and I'm just as guilty. I, I'll go to Sam's Club. I'm like, I gotta have this NAU thing, right? It's homecoming. And I think to myself, and listen, this is not, please hear me. I don't believe in the poverty gospel. I don't think you're not supposed to have anything. I don't think you should all leave here today and literally sell everything you own and just give it away. I don't think the Bible talks about that. But I do think it talks about the church being the church and showing up. And so instead of saying, God, where are you? We say, gosh, thank you that you've equipped me, you've empowered me, you've resourced me and my friends and family that we would go and be a light and a vision to the world. So I think we're supposed to identify these problems. And we're supposed to step in and solve them. Okay? We're supposed to see kind of what, what's out there and then we, we step in. So there are needs around this world. Yeah, the they, they, they people have genuine need. And I just wonder if God's answer, and, and not to say, I mean, there probably are, I've heard stories of God honestly like feeding people out of nothing around the world and it's awesome. But I think a lot of times it's like, yeah, hey, so... Uh, in America alone, apparently, I've raised up 250 million people who think they're Christian and they're supposed to be doing something about this. Now, I, I, we don't know if the number's probably not that high. We start thinking through lordship, Christ. But let's just talk about the 250 to 300 of us in this room right now. And not all of us call Flagstaff home, but for those of you who do, there are insane problems even in our own city. Okay. I mean, if you just walk out, right, there is a homeless population up here that needs love, that has true necessity. And if we're honest, we walk by them every moment of every day, or every day. When there's options for us to step in and to serve. And if there aren't options and places for us to step in to serve, I do believe it is the church who should be on the forefront of establishing those things that allow to serve the poor. Like it's not something we're supposed to wait for. Hey, well, once the city does something, once our government does something, then the church will say, okay, well, we'll jump in on that. Yeah, I, I'm, dang it, I'm gonna just say something political and just please don't get upset. But man, we, we, just, we get so frustrated with the government taxing and taxing and creating these programs. But gosh, dude, like, do we do anything about it? If we eradicated the need 
for, for, for welfare in our state because the church of which there are hundreds of thousands of us in the state with plenty enough resource to care for these people. And it, it, we, we could get rid of that if we wanted to, but no, we're just gonna complain about it instead. A lot of you hear me, a lot of you are 18 to 24, 18 to 25, maybe two thirds of our church, young people. You guys have this insane opportunity to make great decisions for your future that are based on a value system that is contrary to the one of the world. That will truly point people to this, this freedom that Christ offers. As he provides every necessity that we have in this life. And he will provide every necessity in your life and my life and all of our lives as we seek to pour it out for him, amen? Okay. Um, in the midst of all of this, there's some, there's some really good news, right? It's, it's, it's the gospel. And we, we try and kind of land in this place every week. And so we always look through, like, what are, what are the gospel threads? How does this communicate back to him? And, and how does this talk about Jesus? And, you know, it's obviously Jesus here, and he's talking about himself. He is the bread of life. He is all this stuff. And so what I, what I did this week, and I'll do this from time to time when a passage really seems to be speaking to my heart, is I'll, I'll pull out my journal and I'll just write like a little reflection um, about, about who God is, about who I am, and that type of thing. And I wanted to read it for you guys today. Uh, because if, again, if this, as I meditated on, this re, on these realities, man, it, it just kind of, it just changed the way my day went. Not, not like I was like, oh, this day is so much better. It's, man, it changed the way I wanted to be engaged with his mission. It, it changed the way I saw and understood him. It changed the things that frustrated or did not frustrate me. It changed the things that I was gonna be anxious or not be anxious about. Uh, and so let me read this to you. He says this, he, okay? He is the God who has given air to breathe, life to live, and creation to steward. He is the sovereign Lord who delivered his people from slavery, who opens seas, calms storms, and makes suns stationary. He is the God who provided manna from heaven for a starving people, a ram to sacrifice for a desperate father, and a boy hero to deliver us from a giant. He makes the blind see, deaf hear, mute speak, and broken whole. He feeds the birds, dresses the lilies, and clothes us in righteousness through the atoning blood of his son, Jesus Christ, our savior. Mocked, beaten, bloodied, and shamed, he exclaimed, it is finished. He is our creator, sustainer, sovereign, and good who will never turn his back nor forsake those who are his children. Leave a promise unfulfilled or a heart unchanged. He is God, our greatest need. We are his prized possession, made in his image, set free to experience freedom. We are a people given our every need, forgiven, grace celebrated and unworthy all at the same time. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for God's possession, equipped for every good work, redeemed, restored, loved, and sent. We are his greatest want. That there's nothing more in the desire of the heart of God than for his people to come back to him for his creation to be restored. And we know this because he came in the flesh and died a death to win it back. Like he gave up the greatest possible thing he could lay down to get back that which was lost. And so every day, how do you answer this question? Like, who is God? What has God 
done? What does that mean? What is your value? Who are you? What does he promise to us? And then this last question that I need us to ask every day, because this is not to die with us. This is to be given away, is in verse 33. What is your purpose? What is your mission? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So, so listen, what he does on the front end, hey, don't be anxious. On the tail end, don't be anxious. We call this an inclusio, right? So the book ends of this main idea and then internally are all the reasons why you should believe it, okay? And this last one is your purpose, your mission. Every day, wake up and seek first the kingdom of God, which he has now talked about or we've talked about for Jeez, two months almost already in the Sermon on the Mount. Him presenting what the kingdom values of his kingdom look like. Pursue those things. Chase after those things. Be those type of citizens first and, form, first and foremost and primarily. And all these things will be added unto you. I think what he's saying is daily ask yourself these questions. Identify the truth of who God is. The truth of who you are. What he has promised and what he's called you to. And in that, we'll constantly see that God is everything we ever need. Like absolutely everything you need. We're, gonna, we're getting kind of, I'm just gonna have you say it. Say, say it with me. Just say, and we're gonna try and do it on time. It's not gonna work. But just say, he is everything I need. Like he's everything you need every day. Okay, everything you need every day. So please pursue him. If you're here and, and you're not a Christian, you just came to visit us this morning, you know, a, a friend dragged you, I promised you lunch, what we always say, first make sure you get that lunch, okay? Um, but, but if you're here and that's your story, I, I specifically want to say he's everything you need. And he loves you so much. And so please, please turn to him. Acknowledge him, love him, and serve him like the rest of us are called to as well. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Uh, thanks that you, you, man, you love, you love your creation. God, thank you that you love all of us here in this room, regardless of what we bring to the table, whether or not, God, we know you or not. God, you love your creation. You want to know your creation. You want to restore your creation. And I pray, God, that we would celebrate you today as we sing. God, I honestly believe that, God, as we make more of you, that uh, you're going to come in and you're going to just mix all this stuff up. You're going to take our hearts and you're going to just like right the ship in the ways that we've just begun to get focused on things that are not of you, things that uh, ultimately we know will destroy us. Got things that, uh, that, that just honestly are of the enemy. So God, I pray this power and the work of the Spirit to come in and transform us. Again, there are, there are no words outside of your words, God, that, that do work. Uh, we pray that you would come in and just, God, we invite you to make us new, to, and especially for those in here who do battle God, anxiety on, on a deeper, uh, more profound level, Lord. I do pray 
God, that today would be a day of freedom. Again, Lord, you've set us free, that freedom is that we would live in freedom, as silly as that sounds. And so, God, I pray that the gospel would set us free this morning and allow us to be the people here in our world that you've called us to be, that we'd follow you with reckless abandon, that when asked, God, we would sell what we have to care for those around us, that we would answer the call of what you've asked of your church, God, because you are our every need and you supply our every need. And God, thank you that even in the midst of this world where we don't deserve everything, you also seem to give us a ton of our wants. God, you're so faithful, you're a loving father and we praise you, in your name we pray, amen.